0: This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Read Global is an international nonprofit that uses community libraries as a platform for creating social change in rural Southeast Asia. Wharton professor Michael Usseem interviewed Tina Schaubica, executive director of Reed Global which last month won the second annual Barry and Marie Lipman Family Prize awarded to organizations creating positive social impact through leadership and innovation
1: uh, So, Sotino welcome to the Wharton School good to have you here Thank you. you're good to the be here. executive director of Reed Global you have operations through India through Bhutan through Nepal to bring the resources of reading and access to information to those who ordinarily would just never see it. Uh, Just uh, describe in a couple words how you operate, what you do, how big an impact you have.
0: Sure. So we actually work in 67 different villages right now. We started in Nepal about 21 years ago, and we use community libraries as a platform for creating social change in rural villages. So we partner with the village to bring education, enterprise, and community development to each community, and then transform that community as a result.
1: That's great. Uh, In terms of the distinctive edge that sets you apart from other initiatives in the social impact field like this, what what makes you different?
0: Um, I think there's two things that really make the Reed model distinct and unique. Um, One is sustainability, and when I talk about sustainability, I mean financial sustainability. So Um, With every Read Center that we launch, we start a sustaining enterprise, a for-profit business that can generate revenue that will meet the operating expenses of the center for years to come. So the community knows from the very beginning that they have a way to actually sustain this moving forward, and with that, they're very welcoming of the idea. Um, And that leads to the second point, which is it's community initiated and community owned and managed. So the communities they involve from day one, they have to um, initiate the request. We don't go to communities and tell them, you need a read center. It's really them; they decide, um, and then they have to come up with a plan, a proposal, and they're involved every step of the way, so that that sense of ownership and co-investment is there from day one, and it just grows and grows. And that's what really leads to the success
1: of the model. I see U.S. communities to put up a little cash to go with all the above, and because you're in rural Nepal, for example, where there is almost no cash, it is very, very poor. It's one of the poorest countries in the world, of course. Um, How do you draw villagers into uh, putting up some of their very scarce cash into this kind of an initiative?
0: Yeah, you might actually be surprised. Um, You're right. It's one of the poorest countries in the world. But we've actually seen communities run their own fundraising campaigns because they want the center that much, where they will go door to door and every single villager will actually contribute something, even if it's just a rupee or a handful of rice that can then be sold at market. And the beauty of that is that everyone then knows that the center belongs to everyone in the community. It doesn't belong to the wealthy people who helped fund it. It belongs to everyone. Um, So that's been a really important part of our model from day one. And we actually have some communities that have raised more than half of the funds. We require a 10 to 15% co-investment, but there have been many communities that have raised far beyond that and um, even continue to raise money after the center is open and they want to build upon it and expand what's happening there.
1: As you said, they come to you, which is then really a a way to ask, how do they learn about you? How do you market? How do you become known to villagers such that they do want to step forward call you and put some money up to make it happen.
0: Right. So in Nepal, we've been working for 21 years. So the Reed brand there is very well known. Um, Our libraries are all over the country. And so we get so many requests every year that we can't actually handle all of them. Um, And, and, you know, in a place where we've been working for that long, it's easier to have brand recognition. In a place like Bhutan and India, where we've been working less than six years in both countries, we do a lot of awareness building. So visiting with communities, educating them about the model, explaining what's required, and then really it's up to them once they know to make that request. But we have to do a bit of education. They're not just going to come to us asking for a read center unless they learn what it's involved and what it's going to take from them.
1: You're different but similar. And if other social impact groups that are looking to go into that region or elsewhere for that matter come to you and ask for the lessons learned about how to start up and sustain this kind of an operation, what are a couple of the um, enduring ideas that have been vital that you think other organizations could learn from?
0: Um, I think it is, it's, it's what we've talked about. It's community ownership, community engagement from the very beginning, um, not telling communities what it is they need, but actually working with them to figure out what are the assets that already exist in the community and what are the really the most urgent needs that the community is facing and how can a read center meet those needs? Um, I think, A lot of organizations have really great intentions and they have models that could be replicated, but if the community doesn't buy in from the very beginning, I think it's really difficult to achieve success. And so that's something that Reed has done particularly well. We give the communities time to adjust to the idea. If they're not completely committed right away, we don't rush things. We wait until they are completely committed because we know that without that sense of commitment, it's it's not gonna succeed. And I think that that becomes challenging, especially in this day and age when so many funding organizations, you know, there's now a lot of focus on social impact. They want to see quick scale, quick results. And that's challenging because if you want a community to take true ownership, you don't go in and get it done in six months. You really need to make sure You give the community time to understand, to all come together, to make sure there's no conflict around the idea. And that's something that the READ teams have really mastered. And I think other organizations, there are probably other organizations that do something similar, but I think there are probably some um, that would have more success if they would do more of the mobilizing at the very beginning rather than after they've started a project.
1: It's bottoms-up, grassroots-driven, customer-centric. You've been at this yourself as executive director for three years now. The organization goes back more than 20 years. Uh, You're reaching some two million recipients now with your services. What's next? Thinking out a couple years, maybe even five, how many people do you hope to reach? Do you look to go into other countries? Will your model change?
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, We definitely want to go into new countries. So I'd say for the next year or two, we're really focusing on deepening our impact in the countries that we're currently operating in. We're looking to do a lot more with technology, so um, providing free internet access at the read centers, but also looking at ways that we can use mobile technologies to reach people where they are. Uh, because we work in so many rural villages where people farm. And so they need to spend most of their day farming. They may not be able to get to the REED Center, even if it's close by. So how do we get information to them on their mobile phones that's really, truly going to serve their most critical needs? Um, also looking at making sure that the countries that we're in now, Bhutan, India, and Nepal, that they can sustain their own operating budgets within the next few years so that REED Global as an organization can really look at replicating the model around the world.
1: That's great. You know, you began as a commercial litigator, and mm-hmm. for three years you've been at the top of this organization. A couple questions about you. Uh, in your visits to some of the operations or some of the settings, some of the resource centers, and let's make it remote parts of Nepal, what has been most striking or maybe even most surprising to you as you have gone into the villages, met some of the recipients, seen your operations in action?
0: Um, I think what's been life-changing and inspiring is how much communities can do for themselves. You know, there's often a sense of people coming from um, the Western developed world that we have a lot of resources and we might have a lot of answers. I actually think that in rural villages, they have the answers. Uh, They just need to be given a certain amount of resources and the opportunity to unleash those ideas and their full potential. Because We have seen truly amazing things happening with the communities, especially over time as they take more ownership and more responsibility for deciding what programs and services should be provided through the Reed Center. Um, So I think it's just that respect and, and understanding that most people have it in them to have a better future for themselves. They just need to get past the most basic needs. So once people can meet their most basic needs, um, and, and that might be earning a living so that they can feed their children, send their children to school. Once they can do that, then anything else is possible. I think when I started at Reed, Um, I was a little frustrated because there's such high illiteracy rates in many of the communities that we work in. And I thought, well, why are we going to put books and internet access in these communities if people can't read? How are they going to access these resources? And I now realize that we do a lot around livelihood skills training. So once they get past that point where they can actually earn a living and have some financial resources, then they can get to literacy and, you know, education in so many different areas. So that's been a learning for me that you, you can't do everything all at once. You actually have to um, tackle the most urgent needs of a community, and then you can get to things like education of the parents and making sure that they can keep their children in school because they actually have the ability to put the kids in school because they— don't need them working at home.
1: Tina, you, in a sense, touch the two ends of the Earth. So you've been to rural Nepal settings, one of the poorest countries of the world. Can take days even to reach a a resource center there by foot. You also have support from the Gates Foundation. Uh, Last time I looked, some $60 billion endowment there, probably equal to the GDP of the entire country of Nepal or not too far off. In managing and working between the worlds of extreme poverty and development and then the world of the the first world and the wealth that is required, uh, the financial support that's required to make all this happen, what have you learned about managing? What have you had to learn about leading in that very complex terrain that you travel?
0: Um, I've learned a lot in the last three years. Um, And you're right. I'm working with very different audiences. But I think the most important thing, no matter who you're dealing with, is being able to communicate your vision clearly. And, you know, the the vision for the organization. Um, As a leader, it took me a while to realize there were often times when I had a whole plan in my head And I wasn't communicating it to the rest of the organization. And it's really important when people are working so hard to make something happen that they understand what direction we're heading in as an organization. I didn't always do that. And I probably still don't always do that. But I understand the importance of it now for people to really understand why we're doing what we're doing, why we're taking on new initiatives, and what the end goal is with all of that.
1: You have received the 2013 Barry Lippman Prize for Social Innovation in a Social Impact Field. Uh, It's a significant cash award. It recognizes you and all that you have done and your organization has done. Looking forward uh, next 12 months or so to what that, that recognition may do for you. Just talk through a bit about the impact of this prize on your own thinking and your own operations.
0: Yeah, I think for the organization as a whole, especially in Nepal where we've been working for so long—21 years—having um, this sort of recognition is it's a game changer. You know, we work really hard as an organization. The people overseas dedicate their lives to this work. They work under some pretty grueling circumstances, and they're so passionate and so committed because they know that what they're doing makes a difference. But then to have the University of Pennsylvania and the Wharton School. Um, give us this prize and acknowledge that, yes, this model is truly transformative and it's something that can be scaled and replicated, it really gives us a sense of pride in the work that we're doing. It it just gives us that external validation that, yes, this really matters. Um, I think also the partnership with the students and with the faculty is going to be also a game changer, and it already is because they're doing a case study right now, And um, we have some challenges and opportunities as an organization. We're really hoping to um, tackle those challenges together with the students and faculty to see if they can help bring some business thinking to the organization. We have a business angle already, but I think it's always good to have experts from outside of the organization lend their expertise and bring some new ideas and really help us understand how we can make the organization even stronger.
1: Tina, we thank you for joining Knowledge at Wharton today. Above all, we thank you and Reed for all that you're doing for the people of India, Nepal, and Bhutan and areas where they get access now to resources they otherwise would have never had an opportunity to see or read. So thank you very much. Thank you for having me.
0: For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.